Tom Bevan, Real Clear Politics co-founder, president, is an amazing and influential American media figure. You probably don't know too much about him. He did have that show on WLS radio. But really, when you think about it, he's probably one of the most influential people in all media. Every day on his website, Real Clear Politics, you get views and opinion from the left, the center, and the right, the way we used to do when we had a country that respected differences. And he's our guest today on the Chicago Way. Jeff Carlin is here, as always, co-host, and my friend, executive producer at WGN Radio, future physics teacher. And I'm John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of your favorite website, johncassnews.com. And stay tuned because we're going to be having our own interesting announcements in the days to come. For right now, though, Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics is the one holding that lantern in the darkness as you're walking. He's walking next to you with Jeff Carlin. You can hear them standing there holding lanterns on either side of you. And me, I'm the, I'm the one in the shadow doing the wisecracking. Don't trip. And you're on the Chicago Way Podcast on WGN+. Plus. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Made in America. Look, the, the, the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, Castle. You know how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. Four weeks to go, about a month, before Americans decide what kind of nation we're going to have. And everything's on the line nationally and locally. And joining us, as I promised, is the stellar quarterback from the state of Washington. <laughs> He hates when I mention this, and uh, a, a real competition to the, to you know who, whoever was the option quarterback, uh, the real option quarterback of Washington. There was some Russell kid he used to be a baseball <laughs> player, and then there's Tom Bevan, co-founder, president of Real Clear Politics. I was uh, so the- good in high school that they didn't let me play quarterback in college. That's how good I was. They were saving you for the, you know, for the prime time. But John, I just want to, were you suggesting in your intro that this is the most important election of your lifetime? I hesitate to do that, but I really think that everybody does that every single We do it all the time, but I see the way I see it now, especially after the last few years, uh, we topsy-turvy back and forth. And now the way I see it, yeah. Which okay. which direction is this is the country going to go in? I mean, you can stop all this 
you know, for those of you out there who might be on of my persuasion on the political <laughs> right, you might uh, want to stop the uh, haranguing of the Karens by voting Republican, or you might want to increase their volume by voting Democrats. It's up to you. You know, it's your country. Where do you think it's going to go, Tom? Well, I mean, the most logical outcome is that the most likely outcome, I should say, is that, um, you know, Republicans are going to pick up the House. I mean, I just, yeah, you look at the numbers and they're just too daunting for Democrats. I mean, we have like 35 toss up races in the House and 20, I think 29 of those are Democrats. Um, We have another, you know, we have another uh, dozen or so. Pull this up real quick. Um, yeah, we've got another 23. So another two dozen races that are lean GOP and 13 of those are democratic seats. And then another 18 likely GOP seats and, and five of those are Democrats. So, you know, even if Republicans, even if Democrats won all of their toss up seats, which they're not going to do, but let's just say that for the sake of argument, they did. And then they win half of the seats that are currently leaning or likely GOP. That's still nine seats. They're going to lose. Republicans only need five. So, I mean, they would have to have significant improvement over the next four weeks from where they are right now. <clears throat> and it just in doesn't seem like in the House to have a chance. What about the Senate? Well, the Senate's a different matter. It's a lot closer. Um, and again, you know, Republicans only need a net pickup of one there. But just to go back to your original thing, I mean, so yeah. if if the irrespective of what happens in the Senate, if Republicans control the House, <clears throat> Um, you know, and, and even if they have a good night and win, let's say 30 seats, um, which would be a very good night actually for them, given where the generic congressional ballot is, you know, Kevin McCarthy's going to have a, a, a majority that's, you know, very difficult to manage. It's going to be not, not quite as nasty as what Pelosi has been dealing with for the last couple of years, but it will, but it will be tough. And if it's less than that, I mean, it'll, it'll get, you know, really tough for him. So I'm just not sure that the dynamic is going to change from where we are right now all that much, regardless of um, if you accept the the likelihood that Republicans are at least going to win the House. And if they win the Senate as well, which is a, a real possibility, um, you know, what what can they do? Um, you know, mm-hmm. pass stuff out of the House and maybe use reconciliation to jam it through the Senate like Democrats have been doing for the last two years. Um, But then it's going to go to Biden's desk and he's going to, at least for the next two years, he's going to veto it. So there's not really a lot that would get done on the legislative side of things. Obviously, you know, Republicans win the house. They're going to go and they're going to do oversight. They're going to, you know, they're going to try and curb spending any way they can. They're going to probably impeach some people. I mean, there's been talk of Biden. There's talk of Mayorkas. There's talk of, you know, other folks. They won't. Um, yeah, I think they'll get they'll pick and choose the the puppet that they want to smack, you know, with the stick in front of the people. Like uh, I think Mayorkas, of course, would be one, you know, on the border, and then they'll push the border issue, and then uh, so on and so forth. You know, they'll have hearings about the eighty seven thousand yeah. IRS agents. I mean, they right. will do what you know what they can do to to bring uh, those issues to the forefront. But as, in terms of you know, legislatively, what they'll be able to do, it's not going to be a lot. And so, but to get back to your question about the Senate, um, it's, you know, it's a lot closer. Uh, You've got these four 
call them the core four Democratic incumbents, right? Mark Kelly in Arizona, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, Raphael Warnock in Georgia, and Maggie Hassan in, in New Hampshire. Um, three of those four are currently leading in our Real Clear Politics average. Uh, the only one who's not is Catherine Cortez Masto. She's trailing Adam Laxalt by a couple of points in, uh, and is behind in all the most recent polling. And, and so that, that would be a net pickup for, uh, for the Republicans uh, of one seat. On the other hand, you've got, you've got four Republican seats that are, sort of, that are in play. Um, North Carolina seat, which is open. Ron Johnson seat in Wisconsin. The Ohio seat, which is open. And then Pennsylvania, which is an open seat. Republicans lead in three of those four. Um, the one they're trailing in is, is John Fetterman is ahead of Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. And so that would be a pickup for the Democrats. And that would be a basically a, you know, a wash and, and the Senate would stay 50-50. But, um, you know, I think the Republicans are potentially poised. We've seen them sort of inching up. I mean, it'll be interesting to see in Georgia. We got to see what what fallout there is there over the recent uh, revelations about Herschel Walker and his private private life. Um, but Arizona, for example, is a state where, you know, that that's a race that could uh, that could tighten and end up flipping um, to a Republican. And then in Pennsylvania, that race has been tightening and, and Oz has been hammering Fetterman on crime on the issue of crime. And that seems to have really, you know, gotten some traction. Um, and that's, a you know, that would be obviously if they were able to keep that seat, that would be uh, all they would need to, to win control of the Senate. But they're, even if they have a good night, they're not going to win it by much. It might be a seat. It might be two, you know, three tops. But that would be like, a you know, that would be kind of a wave, wave situation, which doesn't appear to be where this election is headed with just four weeks to, to voting. Just a few weeks ago, we had uh, story after story that, oh, the, the Democrats look like they're turning it on. They're turning it around. They're, there's uh, legislation from uh, Biden, from the Democrats, and it looked like a, there was selling of, of a success story. And then I, I, I look at uh, Real Clear Politics, and I notice a poll from the, that applies here to those of us in the Chicago area that applies to, to the Catholic vote. Um, what did that tell us about, because Chicago is a Catholic city, or a town at least, that it used to be, and it's, I think it still is. So what does that tell us about the election to come, Tom? Well, I mean, Catholics are, are divided. Um, and I, I think that they're sort of lukewarm on, on Biden and the Democrats. Um, as are other, I mean, honestly, I think Catholics are probably the, the biggest constituencies in this election are, are women, suburban women who, you know, really shifted toward Democrats when Trump was in office, but seem to have been floating back towards Republicans. And then, of course, you've got, you know, the Dobbs decision that really sort of energized Democratic leaning women and perhaps some moderate Republican women. But I mean, you think about these states, you think about like the suburbs of Atlanta and Philadelphia yeah. and, you know, Milwaukee and, and Phoenix. Um these are crucial, crucial areas in states that are going to be really, really tight. And then the other constituency that's that's really important and and potentially game changing for Republicans is the Hispanic vote. I mean, we've seen story after story about how Hispanics have moved toward Republicans, not just in South Texas, although they have moved there pretty dramatically. And we've seen that with, you know, Maya Flores and, and some others down in the Rio Grande Valley, but. Uh, again, you look at Phoenix, uh, 
you know, Arizona, Nevada, even Georgia, um, you have Hispanic voters that, and again, you know, Republicans have always said, well, they're, they're culturally more conservative on issues like marriage and abortion and like, and that's, that's true. But um, this is being primarily driven as it is across the board on economics. I mean, it's just inflation. It's the economy. It's, it's, and, and, you know, the working class are the ones that are really getting, getting crunched by inflation and the cost of, you know, 10% plus, you know, at the grocery store. I mean, for, for, you know, well-off liberals living in some of these cities, inflation is not nearly as much of a factor, um, an existential threat as it is for folks who are trying to, you know, fill up their gas tank and, and, you know, put food on the table and also put their kids through school. I mean, it's, it's a real deal. And I think that's, resp- it, that's reflected in the Hispanic vote. And it's, it's, so we're not really seeing a ton of surprises here, Tom. I mean, it's what it seems to be like things are kind of shaking out as most people would have expected uh, a year ago. And there was all this talk, like you said, about this ideal wave, but do we, do you think that, that, this may work for in the in a business benefit for Biden long term in the sense that if he's becomes you know essentially neutered by a Congress that isn't going to do anything he wants to do, it kind of makes it gives him a boogeyman of sorts to run up against and say, hey, look, I was trying to make the country better. Look what I was doing in the first two years, and the Republicans are the big boogeyman, and they stopped me from doing anything productive. I mean, I'm not saying he'd be productive if they weren't because you know he's clearly has issues. As we can see, is his rip around tour around the country, which has just been gaff after gaff after gaff. Right. Um, do, do you think it helps him at all in that sense? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I I do think he would have maybe there. There was the argument that Biden would have benefited from having a Republican controlled Senate. Um, in retrospect, I think Democrats would say, "Oh, it was better to win those seats," and they were able to get some things done. Uh, by jamming stuff through the Senate, I, you know, quite frankly, I don't really think about it in those. To me, Joe Biden is, is I know he said that he's going to run in 2024 and right. told Al Sharpton stuff, but he has to say that at this point. I mean, I think mm-hmm. honestly, as soon as this, as soon as this election is over, um, he's going to be under enormous pressure to step aside and clear yeah. the way for the next generation, whether it's Kamala Harris or, or whomever. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> He'll wear, well, no, I mean, He'll listen, wear the jacket for all this money. If, put it on if, if Biden doesn't run, Kamala would be the sort of initial favorite. Right. But I, I don't think she's a very strong candidate. I think there are a lot of ambitious Democrats who are going to look at her and say, no, we saw her in 2020. She was a disaster and she hasn't really impressed as vice president. And so, you know, I'm, I think I'd be better for the job. I and mean, you'll see Gavin Newsom and even J.B. Pritzker. You know, right. thinks he's oh, thinks yeah. he's got the got the goods. So there would be a contested primary. And quite frankly, you know, I don't know that Kamala Harris would win that. I mean, it would be it would be nasty, you know, but trying would, to take, who take who the nomination. Win? Who could, well, uh, you know, because her. Support, well, Gavin Newsom could win it. Her yeah. support is is primarily from black women, black women like Kamala Harris, whether the Republican or Democratic parties like it or not, they kind of support her. And so whoever takes her on will be risking that vote, which is key to the to the Democratic uh, fortunes. I, yeah, I fully understand and agree that that it would be very um, it would be a nasty primaries for whomever it is trying to take away the nomination 
for from the first African American female vice president yeah. would be uh, would be a, a really nasty, divisive primary, and that that person, whether it's Gavin Newsom or Pete Buttigieg or someone else, um, would be you know accused of racism and misogyny and sexism and all these crazy things, yeah. um, which is. Which is what happened basically in, in twenty twenty, um, you know, during that whole primary process. I mean, it's the whole, you know, Elizabeth Warren. I would have won if I uh, just had a penis. I mean, you know, right. it's just craziness. Right. So right. anyway, not good news for the Democrats. Um, but I, but I, I, I don't know that that is going to make a difference. I mean, I suspect if Republicans win control of the House, it'll be better for whomever is trying to replace Biden to to run in 2024 and say, look at these crazy, you know, fascist MAGA Republicans that are running the house and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And oh my gosh. And, mm. and yes, they would have someone, a bogeyman to run against um, as opposed to saying, you know, well, we control everything, but let's, let's, you know, so let's keep this party going. <laughs> it's a much less compelling message, I think. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I mean, my take is that it, I think it works for his uh, Biden's legacy at the very least, because it, it gives a, a, a reason, a soft landing for his presidency, if you will. You know, I could have seen him trying to push stuff through and spiraling this country quickly into you know, some sort of animus that leads to maybe violence or something because he just is all over the place and, and doesn't make much sense and you know, don't exactly feel a, a lot of confidence in the guy. And so now I think he's got this way of, well, you know, I couldn't do anything, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire. It's, it's, a, it's time. You know, I, 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 it's going to be a tough road, that kind of crap. And I think you're right. I, I think, though, I think the Kamala thing is almost reflective of 2016, where it was like the party that decided that, you know, it was Hillary Clinton's time. She had done the all everything. It, 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 we can't not do it. It's it's hers. And, and the Democrats run in that same idea that, well, Kamala's she's she's the one we can't not pick her. And then they wind up you know shooting themselves in the foot. And you know, be stuck with a bad candidate that no one uh, outside of you know a couple of groups you can point out really want to work with or even you know vote for. It it'll, it should be interesting. But do you, do do you? Yeah, Tom. No, I was going to say it's it's going to be it is going to be fascinating, and all this stuff's going to happen. You know, it's going to kick into high gear on November 9th, the day after the midterms. It's already been happening, sort mm-hmm. of unofficially. On both sides. I mean, Donald Trump, remember this, there was this talk he was going to announce before the election. I think he's, if he's going to run, he's going to announce it almost, you know, very shortly after uh, the midterms and, and, you know, try and clear the field, which I think that <sighs> I think he will. But um, so we're going to be, we're going to be in the thick of 2024, like in four weeks and a day or whatever it is. is, that, you know? what, is what is that? Uh- uh, condition that the mental condition we're all suffering from that I, I use uh, before I ruined both shoulders. I use trout, uh, trout fishing and <clears throat> pardon me, whiskey to uh, deal with it. And that's the, uh, uh, I guess, fatigue, emotional fatigue of politics yeah. in this country yeah. where everything is like so wrapped up and everyone's screaming. And it's just, uh, you know, I feel like, I feel like not light, lighting a candle, going to church, perhaps, and uh, you know, chilling out, like in there, like finding refuge and quiet. They won't, as we continue the next few weeks, the ratcheting and freaking out and panic uh, by the one side that's losing, and I think it'll be the Democrats, will be increased, won't it? They're not just going to sit there 
and and lose this lose power and be blamed for it <clears throat> calmly are they they're no, going I to- mean that's 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 part of the process right, right. of every election cycle is you have right. these you they have these sort of rhythms and and you know we get to we get to two weeks and it's not looking good and you'll start to see the finger pointing and the recriminations you know preemptively right, right. and all right. that stuff right and there will be some some you know extreme rhetoric which there already has been some extreme rhetoric in this election i mean both sides are portraying this as in really apocalyptic terms right i mean and biden has contributed to this with his speech in philadelphia saying look you know half the country basically is like these crazy fascists you know democracy is under threat and yada 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 and you know republicans right. are are like these these you know crazy woke groomers are trying to you know brainwash our kids and yeah i mean it's just it's it's and and they're you know they're sort of caricatures of of the actual issues themselves and uh blown up into into um these again apocalyptic terms and that's why everybody's everybody's you know approaching this election feeling like like it is going to be the end of the world when in fact you know i I don't think that's going to be the case. We're going to wake up November 9th and people are going to carry on with their lives. And, and we're going to still have a country after November 9th. Still going to have a country. I think John. that's amazing. We may even have a Donald Trump back on Twitter. And come November. Who 9th. knows? Who knows? I won't say anything about Donald Trump on Twitter because I, I personally, I'd much rather he go, go away, you know, yeah. just, just go away. But then on the other hand, uh, I'm, I'm personally also, and this is not about the, the politics of it. I just, I'm tired of the, um, the screamers that, you know, wherever you, if you ever violate what they want you to do and think and how to think, they come after you. And in, in, I guess the American public feels like, uh, like Justice Kavanaugh trying to have dinner with his family. You know, wherever you, wherever you go and you, and you, and you differ with them, you're you're going to be shouted down in, in the public square and screamed at. And I, I think I think that has something to do with the election. And I don't think uh, we appreciate the anger that most Americans feel toward that. I really well, that, don't. Well that's that's one of the the points of discussion about this election, right? About, you know, <clears throat> how accurate are these polls and are they mis- representing what's actually going on. Are they overstating democratic support in some of these states? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Robert Cahaley, who's the Republican pollster who runs Trafalgar group, who notoriously was, was correct um, on Trump's strength in 2016 and has been one of the most accurate pollsters over this, you know, last three cycles when some of these other pollsters couldn't seem to figure out how to, how to get in touch with the, the electorate. You know, he just said, the other day and continues to say that he thinks that, you know, Biden's and the Democrats efforts to portray all of the, you know, Trump supporting MAGA movement folks as, as these fascists and uh, you know, election deniers and all these terrible things has driven them even further underground. And they're, and they're, so they're not showing up. They're not talking to pollsters. They're, they're not, you know, telling the truth about, you know, whether they're likely to vote or they're just not answering their phones, quite frankly. So, um, we that's that's something that's that's obviously unknowable. Uh, we won't know the answer to that until November 9th or even later, perhaps in some of these races. But um, 
but it's absolutely a possibility that it's that that it's going to happen again. And you know, you look at Mark Kelly's lead in Arizona that you know is pegged in the polls at at I don't know four points, and it's maybe it's maybe it's tied. Maybe he's actually even behind. I mean, who knows? It's like in particular the Fetterman race is a you know Pennsylvania's been one of the places where Democratic support has been overstated recently mm-hmm. by you know, four or five points. And if that's the case, Mehmet Oz would be ahead in that race right now. Um, or in, not by much, but I mean, it would, so it'd be a really, really close race. Um, again, it's unknowable, but we'll yes. have to wait and see, you know, and that's one of the things that we're, we're actually working on and going to announce here shortly as a, is a polling accountability initiative to, to hold some of these pollsters um, accountable and responsible for, you know, the good work that they do, if they get it right. I mean, that's the, they need to be, you know, rewarded for that and, and lifted up for, for getting it right. And the ones who don't get it right uh, or, or, or miss badly, um, they need to, they need to be called out for that as well. And there need to be some sort of, there needs to be some sort of accountability. And so we're working on that and, um, and that'll be something that, that will go be public here in the next few days. So you'll be making some sort of announcement on the on the uh, credibility of polls, right? That's yeah. Good. We're gonna we're gonna look back at the last few cycles um, and have a give people an opportunity to take a look at all these different pollsters, and then obviously we'll be paying attention to exactly what happens in in twenty twenty two and and how these pollsters uh, fare in some of these states. I mean, we just. I mean, the problem is that people have lost faith in the polls. I mean, they just have. I mean, they just look at them and say, oh, they're just all crap. I mean, it's just junk and don't pay attention to them. That's, you know, that that's a problem. It's, it's a problem for the polling industry. You know, obviously, it's not great for us as, as, a, as a website that aggregates polling data and information. We want it to be as accurate as possible. I mean, right. our yes. averages are only as good as the polls that are contained in them. And if the polls, some of the polls that are in there suck and are, yeah. are way off, you know, that that is going to affect our averages and 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 we're going to be off. And, and so there just needs to be I mean, the idea behind this is just to bring um, to try and get the polling industry to to, you know, really take a hard look and and for real be as as responsible and accurate and and transparent um, as possible. It's it's in everybody's interest, quite frankly. Uh, for all these pollsters to get their act together and to get be as accurate uh, as they can. And, and some of them, as I said, you know, it's some of the pollsters have been pretty good and mm. some of them have been not very good over the last few cycles. And so mm-hmm. um, it's just an effort to, as I said, bring some accountability and, and transparency to that. I think well, we one, need warnings like we have on cigarette packages, like warning this uh, poll is so full of crap that it could completely mess up your worldview. Like it's just some of them are just so bad. And then people say, well, that's a fact. And you're like, no, it's not. It's a manipulation of statistics or it's so what someone wants you to think about numbers. That's so Yeah. Bad. I mean, you, you've got, for example, I mean, it's look for, for, for some of the poll, it's not quite that. I mean, you know, you've sure. got some pollsters who are, you know, ABC news, Washington post, right. In 2020, mm-hmm. you know, Biden's up 17 points, in Wisconsin. I mean, that's obviously, but they had some other polls that weren't that bad. I mean, so, mm-hmm. but clearly that one was, was horrendous. I mean, it was, it was laughable. And in that circumstance, it's like, okay, well, you know, 
is that a situation where you don't publish that poll or you go back into right. the field to try and make sure that you've got the right sample or do you just, you know, run with it? You know, it's one of those things that like, I think different decisions could have been made that, that would have been better for, for that organization, obviously. Um, but you've also got these guys, for example, this, this time out, there's a, there's a group called Center Street Pack and it's run by Joe Walsh and our listeners will know Joe Walsh is a yeah. former congressman from the state of Illinois and then became a talk show host. And is a really sort of virulent never Trump guy and partnered with another never Trump Republican. And they started, you know, releasing these polls and they've, right. they formally endorsed Mark Kelly in Arizona and Tim Ryan in Ohio and are releasing these insane polls. They've got, you know, John Fetterman up 19 points in Pennsylvania, Tim Ryan up 11 points in Ohio. Mark, I mean, it's just, it's absurd. And, and yet they are, and, and they do this for two reasons. One is to obviously try and influence the narrative to the best of their ability and right. also to manipulate poll averages. And some of these other groups are using them. We're not because they're so transparently, uh, you know, Flawed. ridiculous uh, that we're not, we're not going to participate in that fraud by putting those folks in our averages and having them, you know, move our averages two or three points to the Democrats favor. It's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, so you've got that kind of group and then you've got the, the legitimate pollsters who are really, um, as I said, you know, and some of them are big media organizations. Some of them are universities like Quinnipiac and Marist mm. and some of these other pl- places. Um, and then you've got, you know, folks like, uh, like, like Trafalgar that I mentioned um, right. that are polling in a, in a variety of these places. And, and so we'll see what happens, but it's, it's something that I think needs to happen that, uh, that pollsters, um, you know, again, are held accountable for their work for the good and the bad. It's the kind of thinking that uh, newspaper editors once would employ when they <laughs> cared about their uh, yeah. their readers and their place in the industry. Uh, one thing you can't do, though, Tom, is you can't legislate or compel uh, political writers not to wrongly manipulate or take or take polling data and twist it so that their short-term political aims can be satisfied. There's no way to do that, right? I mean, they, they can twist, get, no, get a I mean, piece of something and twist it the way sure. they want. Yeah. But at least we'll have the uh, we'll have the basis to make analysis and uh, understanding of what they're doing. So that's great, great news. Yeah, well, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Well, Tom, we're taking up a ton of your time, and I always love getting you on here, and especially when we get close to uh, election days and talking polls and stuff. It's always fun. I have to plug Real Clear Politics, a, a bunch of great stuff on the on the page this morning if, as we're re- recording this. Uh, Heather McDonald's The Marijuana Myth is a great read. I recommend that. And I do love that, that Adrian Wool- uh, Woolridge from Bloomberg, The Five Ideas That Will Reshape Capitalism. That's a good piece. Century. Really interesting piece about yep. yeah technology and how – uh, money is going to you know shift and, and just change the way we think about everything. So really good stuff on there today. Thank Thanks, you. Tom. Appreciate and it. the piece uh, on Tim Scott. Tim Scott, the uh, the mission of oh Tim Susan's Scott. piece on Tim. Susan, yeah. Susan, yeah. Susan yeah, Crabtree, Crabtree. Mm-hmm. and uh, the one from Wegman on the Catholic vote. Yeah. Phil and Susan are doing good work. That is, that they is are superstars. Outstanding, absolutely, yeah. I'm in awe of them and uh, <laughs> of you too because of your ability to to run to the right side and <laughs> across your body, my friend. Yes, yes, clearly. Who needs that Russell guy? 
That Russell guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Tom. We, we've got Geno Smith now. We're doing fine. See there you go. Go. Okay. There you go. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks. Bevin. Appreciate it. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. For Tom Bevan, Real Clear Politics, and a fascinating idea that he's coming up with that uh, assessment of polls. Because do we need, ever need that in this country? Yes, we do. And for Jeff Carlin, WGN's executive producer, future physics teacher, master of pies, baker, a friend of cats. And for me, John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of your favorite, second favorite news website, johncassnews.com. It'll be a tough several weeks. We're going to ramp it up here at on the Chicago Way. So follow us closely, okay? We love you guys. And see you next time on another edition of the Chicago Way Podcast on WGN+.